In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study in the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, starting from verse 8. This psalm actually we prayed in the first hour of the Agbaya. From verse 1 to verse 6, he spoke about how the heaven declare the glory of God, how God is revealed to us in the nature, in the creature. From verse 7 to verse 11, he is speaking to us about how God is declared also or is revealed through his word, through his word. In verse 7, he said, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the uh, making the wise, making wise the simple, making wise the simple. So tonight, actually, we'll study from verse um, eight. Verse eight: the statute of the Lord. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. As I said, Saint uh, David, Prophet David, he gives a title and then description and then action to the word of God. So in verse 7, the title, the law of the Lord. The description, perfect. The action, converting the soul. Then he gave another title, the testimony of the Lord. The description, sure. The action, making wise the simple. In verse 8, the statutes of the Lord. That's the title. Are right. That's the description. The action, rejoicing the, the heart. God's word and the commandment contained within God's word are right. Why they are right? Because it is the revelation of a God who is holy, true, and always right. God is revealed in his word. So whatever he says, since he is holy and true, whatever he said, it is right. So when he says the statutes of the Lord are right, he means equal, just, proper. They are not merely appointed or forced on us by authority. But the statutes of the Lord in themselves are equitable and just. And when we know the word of God, and through them, we know the God of the word, the God who gave us this word. The person rejoice because they are equitable and just. Let me give you an example. If you go to somebody asking for advice, for a counsel, and he give you advice that you believe it is right, you will be happy. For example, if you are purchasing a house, 
and you have so many options in front of you and you don't know what's right. So you ask a person whom you trust and then he give you a right advice. You will be happy, you will rejoice. In the same way, the word of God rejoices the heart. We find joy and actual pleasure in the truth of God and in the relationship with God that's revealed in his word. His commandments are not felt as stern, but as gracious counsels of what God desires man to do for his own good. God give us these commandments for our good to protect us and actually to live a happy life and a prosperous life. Then in the second part of verse 8, he said, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the soul. So, the title here, the commandment, the description, pure, and the action, enlightening the eyes. Because the word of God comes from a God who is himself pure and holy. That's why his word also is pure. There is no contamination or impurity in the word of God. Actually, the word of God is pure and also makes those who receive the word of God and accept the word of God pure. And the word of God enlightening the eyes definitely does not mean here the physical eyes, but the eyes of the soul, the mind. So our mind, our understanding, our heart are enlightened by the truth of God. So enlightening the inner eye of the person, enlightening the insight of the person, it gives us discernment. It teaches us what's right from what is wrong. Verse 9, he said, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord actually is another title. But title by the action. Because when we read the word of God and we understand his majesty. The word of God actually installs in us this awe, reverence, fear toward God. So, and this fear is clean. The description is clean. And it is enduring forever. Enduring forever. The word mit efsevis in, uh, in Greek can be translated religion or godliness. Because 
the true religion is to walk in the fear of God. And the fear of God is the godliness. Godliness means you are aware of the presence of God inside you and around you. So you walk in the fear of God. That's godliness. So the fear of the Lord here describing describing the, the godliness. And when we read the word of God and the word of God reigns in our heart and practiced in, in our life makes us clean. Makes us clean from any sin. When we walk in the fear of God we will be clean from any sin. You cannot walk in the fear of God and disappoint God. So, uh, that's why he said, the fear of God is clean. It cleans our way, as we read in Psalm 119, verse 9. And the fear of the Lord enduring forever means this reverence of God is constant, unchangeable, can never be abolished. Here, David, as I told you, called the word of God the fear of the Lord. St. Clement of Alexandria said, this fear keeps us from committing sin. That's why the fear of the Lord is clean, because it keeps us from committing sin. Also, our relationship with God, there is a reverence and there is a love. The reverence keeping us from committing any sin, but the, motive, the love motivates us to practice what is right, righteousness, to practice it spontaneously as children who love their holy and righteous father. So, what David is saying here, the fear of the Lord is clean, endures forever, he meant the one who reads and hears and studies the word of God and meets the Lord in his word will have an appropriate appreciation of God's awe and majesty. So he will respect him, fear him, reverence him. And because of this fear, he will be clean because, as St. Clement of Alexandria said, he will actually, it, it prevent me from committing any sin. And this fear make me endure forever. Then in the second part of verse 9, he said, the judgments of the Lord are true unrighteous altogether. Uh, verse 9 is summary of this chain of six jewels. When he said uh, from verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the, the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So, uh, he summarized these six descriptions uh, by saying righteous altogether. They are without exception, just and right, pure. Uh, the word of God frequently called judgment because they are declarations of his righteous will. What God judges as right. That's why the word of God is called judgment. Because it tells us what God judges as right. Also, his judicial, judicial sentence by which he expected that men should govern themselves. So, by the word of God, we should govern ourselves. We should judge ourselves. That's why they are called judgment. And also the third reason, because God will judge us according to his word in the last day. So it's called judgment because the word of God judges what's right, by which we can judge ourselves and govern ourselves, and by which God will judge us in the last day. And he said righteous altogether, they are without exception just and true. So he said, the prophet David said, there is nothing false or unrighteous in his word. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. David in verse 9 spoke about the fear of the Lord. So lest the word fear here is misunderstood. And someone might think that the word of God provokes fear, terror in the soul that destroys any joy or any commitment that makes the soul lose the feeling of human freedom. Because fear usually comes with slavery. But here the word fear is not the terror of the slaves. It is the reverence. But lest anyone misunderstood the word uh, fear, that's why David pointed out the believer's eagerness toward the word of God. He said the true believer appreciates the word of God and treasure the commandment of God and desire them more than gold, more to be desired than gold. David was a king, so he was wealthy man. But rarely David was known for his riches. David was much more known for his great heart toward God. So, the word of God is far greater than gold for a man. Far more to be desired than any amount of riches. 
But David felt that it is not enough to use the word gold. That's why he elaborated more by saying yea than much fine gold. So the gold that's totally pure, the word of God is more desired than the very, very fine and pure gold. David also said the word of God is not only to be held in greater honor and value than gold and material wealth, but also greater than the experiences of the senses. Honey is sweet and pleasant to eat, but God's word is sweeter than honey, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And honey is sweet, but honey just comes out of the comb, has a sweetness, richness, and flavor far beyond what honey has. So the word of God is much more desired than the fine gold and sweeter than the honeycomb. Verse 11, Moreover by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So the word of God also, there is warning in the word of God to us. The word of God warns us regarding our responsibility. And also the the word of God warns us regard the dangers that we should avoid. So, the word of God gives instruction that wealth like gold and fine gold or pleasures like honey and honeycomb cannot give. That's why David said, more desirable than the fine gold and sweeter than honeycomb. The word of God warns the wicked not to go on in his wicked way and warns the righteous not to turn from his good way. Then David said, in keeping them, there is great reward. Either as a result of keeping them or in the act of keeping them. Because the act of keeping them will make you happy, will make you pure, will make you free. Besides the reward that you will get because you kept the commandment of God. So here, the obedience to the word of God becomes its own reward. When we live the way God wants us to live and designed us to live, there is reward in it. We will be wise, we will be holy, we will be happy. And actually, the Christian in all these years from the time of the law in the Old Testament until now, experience and confirm this truth that in keeping them, there is a great reward. In keeping the word of God, there is great reward.
Then in verse 12, David spoke, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. So David spoke in verse 11 about warning found in the word of God and the great reward in obeying and keeping the word of God. When David spoke about the warning, this made him reflect on times and ways in which he ignored the word of God, ignored the warning and did not keep the word of God. Actually, when we remember the word of God and his judgment, this actually will raise in our mind thoughts of transgression. All of us, all of us, in certain moments in our life, we transgressed the word of God. As we read in verse Romans 7, verse 7, man had not known sin but by the law. The law is like a mirror that shows me my weakness. Sometimes I commit sin without knowing it is sin, but when I read the word of God, I understand it is sin. That's why no one can contemplate the law without being reminded of possible disobedience to it. I'm sure all of us, when we read the scripture, we find immediately how many times we disobeyed the word of God. So when David started to speak about uh, warning in the word of God, he converted this into a prayer, asking God to protect him and to cleanse him from secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Who is aware of his errors? Many times we commit sins while we are unaware, knowingly or unknowingly, willingly or unwillingly. So David is praying, cleanse me from secret faults. And that's beautiful when you read the scripture, how to convert the scripture into a prayer and ask God if the scripture actually pierced your heart and reminded you with your weakness or your sins, then actually take this as moment for prayer, as David did, cleanse me from my secret faults. St. Augustine is commenting on who can understand his errors. So St. Augustine said, by what sort of sweetness can there be in sins? So, is there any pleasure in sin? Is there any sweetness in sin? Where there is no understanding because who can understand his own errors? Who can understand the misery that errors bring on us? Because sins close our eyes to which truth is pleasant. Close our eyes that the judgment of God are desirable and sweet. As darkness closes the eyes, so sins close the eyes of the mind and suffer it not to see either the light or itself. So, St. Augustine said, Satan deceives us by making us believe that there is pleasure in sin, 
But in reality, the sin make us blind, walking in darkness, and we don't see the sweetness and the riches, richness in the word of God. So David is praying for divine grace to cleanse him from secret faults and also when it comes to his willful, intentional, deliberate sins. Not only from the unknowing sin or sins committed unknowingly or unwillingly, but those who are committed knowingly and willingly, as we read in verse 13. He said, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them, the presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Uh, in some translations, presumptuous sins are translated as a representation of people. For example, in the Septuagint translation, uh, it says, keep back your servant also from strangers. So those who are strangers to God, those who are strangers to godliness, not strangers in, in uh, nationality or no, strangers to God and to godliness. As if David's saying, keep me from all conversation with the strangers in things that are sinful and from the sins of others, lest I participate in the sins of others. Protect me from having fellowship with them and being a partaker of them, lest their punishment should come upon me too. Another translation like the Targum interpreted from proud men, and the Arabic translation is taken from the Targum. In Arabic it says, Aydan min al-mutakabbirin ahfaz abdak. Mutakabrin, proud men who are boastful and proud themselves lest the person should be so corrupted and drawn aside by the proud men but according to the English translation presumptuous sins David is saying protect me from the sins that I committed willfully in rebellion and intentionally committed them. And the petition is that these sins may be committed by good men if we are left to ourselves and the grace of God is taken away from us. So even good people, if the grace of God is taken away from us, we will commit sins willingly and intentionally and also we will rush into them because we are not protected by the grace of God that's why David is, is asking God to restrain him 
and protect him by his grace. And this actually teaches us a very important lesson that even the saints cannot keep themselves. God only can keep us from evil. If you want to fight any sin, if you want to overcome any sin by your effort, we will fail. But we need to ask the grace of God. It's only through the grace of God that we can overcome these sins and not allow these sins to have dominion over us. As he said, let them not have dominion over me. So David is praying that at any time he is tempted by such sin, let them not prevail over him. Control him. So as if David saying, if I fall into any sin, oh God, deliver me speedily. Let me rise again quickly. And in order not willingly give myself to these sins, and these sins become habits, bad habits in my life, as if they are a normal practice, I do it every day. So, this actually a beautiful prayer. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. I know many sins can turn into habits in our life and have dominion over us. David said, if you protect me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. So his prayer was rightly placed. His love for the word of God and his dependence upon God in prayer would help him to stay free from the dominion of enslaving sins. And thus, he will be blameless before God. So David knew that when sin in his life, either the secret faults, that's the inward, or the presumptuous enslaving sin, that's the external. When God protect him and the word of God cleanse him, then he could be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Some father questioned what David meant by innocent of great transgression. What is the great transgression? Augustine said it is the sin of pride and others thought it is the sin of apostasy, falling away from faith. It is easy to repent from any sin, any sin other than the sin of pride. In the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, adulterers, tax collectors, uh, thieves, many people repented. Only the religious leaders of Israel could not repent because the sin of pride. And apostasy means denying their faith. Other said the great transgression is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit which is rejecting repentance and rejecting believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So the sense here is he should be cleared and freed from the multitude of transgressions that he had been guilty of, whether secret faults or presumptuous sins. So he's asking God to preserve him from much sin, which otherwise he should have fallen into. Verse 14, the last verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So David actually closes this psalm with a humble surrender of his mouth and heart to God. After he prayed that God may keep him from sinful action, now he prays that God would govern and sanctify his words and his emotions and his thoughts. He knew that real godliness is not only what you do, but also the thoughts in your hearts. Like the, when the Lord said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you committed adultery in your heart. So the real godliness is not only to control your actions, but to control your hearts and to control your mind. That's why he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation or the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Then he called God my strength and my redeemer. His strength and his redemption. David knew that he needed a redeemer. Redeemer means you know when, like, if a person was taken in captivity, so you go and you pay something in order to redeem him. David spoke in a prophetic way about Christ, the Redeemer. He paid his life. He shed his blood in order to redeem us. And he called him Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So this expression refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom alone this word belongs. Because the Lord through his blood that he shed on the on the cross, actually he pardoned our sins and he gave us the grace of the Holy Spirit that strengthened us in our journey on earth. That's why no prayer can be acceptable before God which is not offered up in the strength and redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayers will be accepted when offered in the name of Jesus. Means by his strength and in his redemption. Through him, who took our nature upon him, Jesus, God the Son, became man, and he took our nature in order to be God-man. So we abide in him, and in him we are acceptable before God the Father. 
and thus he can redeem us toward God the Father. This actually concludes Psalm 19 from the book of Psalms. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.